Prepare to have your heart awakened. You will be stirred to go after God in today's interview. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today. We have a very special broadcast. I will not be taking calls. I'm sitting in studio with a dear friend and longtime colleague, Keith Collins. He has written a brand new book, Samuel's Arising. I wrote the foreword to the book, Waking Up to God's Prophetic Call. I believe I'm speaking to many of you today whom God wants to raise up as Samuels in this generation. So prepare to have your heart stirred. I was looking at one review of this book, which is just hot off the press. This came out last month, so it is hot off the press. One pastor wrote, this book is destined to be a classic, but then ends with a warning. If you don't want personal revival, please don't read this book. It will rock your world. Uh, Keith, welcome back to The Line of Fire. Great to have you with us. Thank you. It's a blessing to be back with you, Mike. All right. So, Keith, for those who don't know you, you have served as pastor of Fire Church for a number of years. You're in full-time traveling ministry and writing. You have served as the director of the uh, Fire School of Ministry. We were together in Pensacola during the Brownsville Revival. So we've got quite a history, but you have quite a dramatic salvation testimony. So let, let's start there. Who is Keith Collins? Who were you before God saved you? And how did he save you? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, my life was really radically impacted by the Lord on January the 24th of 1985. Um, as a young person, my biological father actually introduced me to drugs at the age of eight years old, crazy enough, and alcohol and pornography. And, you know, it just kind of opened a crazy door in the life of a, a young boy that should have never been open. Mm. So by the time I was 15, um, you know, I was really using drugs regularly to the point that um, I desired them, my body desired them, and I know you have that history as well. And, um, you know, was doing a lot of partying, very sexually active um, as a young teenager, and just really living in a life of bondage and and addiction. Um, the Lord used a young boy at my high school who began to talk to me about Jesus. I thought he was uh, in a cult or a fanatic. I, mm -hmm. I would mock him and make fun of him. But he actually dared me to come to his church. He said they were having what he called a revival meeting. I had no idea what that really was. But one night I was on my way to a party down in North Florida, south of Tallahassee, Florida, a friend of mine. And I told my friend, I said, hey, you know, Joey dared me to stop at his church tonight to come to this church service. So from 
the time we left my friend's house till we got to this church was about 15 minutes or so. During that time, we were drinking. We were smoking marijuana, so we were high and drunk already. And we went into this little church, little country white church, um, a little place called Otter Creek, Florida. And when I went in, it was an experience I'd never had before. My father was Roman Catholic. My mother was Southern Baptist. So, you know, my experience with religion was much different than what I experienced. When I walked in, there was exuberance. They were clapping their hands. There was a set of drums on the platform, which was really odd to me. Got but it, but it kind of captured my, my attention. Now, my first experience, this might sound strange to some, with the presence of God was as I sat on the back, or as I stood against the back wall of this little church, I became immediately sober. I remember closing my eyes and shaking my head because I thought it was something. So you'd been drinking and smoking pot. Oh, yeah. For, and, and you were genuinely high. Oh, for sure. Okay. And I know how much I had actually taken and used so and i should have been genuinely high for quite a while and so my first experience with the really i call the tangible presence of god was i i became completely sober and it kind of freaked me out Mm. and at that point my friend said man i got to get out of here and you know to my amazement i just said man go ahead i'll meet you at the party later i'll try to get a ride and the lord literally you know divinely set me up um that night so it was in that meeting that uh, a man from Tennessee begins to get up and he begins to talk. There's probably a hundred people in the room, maybe a few more. I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe that Joey told this guy everything about my life because everything he was saying was just right at me. I mean, it's like he knew everything about me. So you thought your friend told, literally, the, that's told literally the pastor, what I'm the yes. preacher, all right, I got this guy coming, Keith, here's his story. He does this, he does yes. that. It, yes. it said it was the Holy Spirit. It really was. And... The next experience I had, um, I still to this day don't remember how it happened. Nobody really can say how it happened. Um, somehow I got from the back of this little church to the front. It's not a big church, maybe you know, 15 pews on both sides, a small country church. Somehow I got from the back of the church to the front of the church, and I literally am on my back for over three hours as the presence of the Lord just overwhelms me. And I remember I felt like I was in detox dts because my body was shaking and you didn't know anything you have no background none it, none it whatsoever could have just been like someone you know my only <laughs> my only experience of anything like this really at all would have been maybe every once in a while seeing something on tv like a an old-timey jimmy swagger crusade or something but beyond that nothing like this so this is not something i was you know prone to or even thought of i thought i mean if there was I, no emotional suggestion that this is well, here's the strange but i don't remember you know now i know you know i've heard altar calls come to jesus if you want to give your yeah, now yeah, i know yeah. what that means i didn't have any clue about that per se so um i don't know how i got to the front to this day i do not remember the preacher saying if you want to give your life to jesus but somehow i got from the back of the church to the front of the church and for over three hours i had this experience with god at the wow. end of that experience they helped me get up, and this um, the associate pastor there, he asked me if I want to give my heart to Jesus, and I've, I felt like I've already given my heart to Jesus. But he led me in a prayer, and just, I mean, since that was January the 24th, 1985, and um, I have been radically in love with Jesus um, mm. since that day, so— January twenty fourth seventy two is the night I was, I was really? filled with the spirit. Yeah, oh, wow. I didn't realize. Yeah, wow. uh, just put that together now. But uh, when when you talk about loving Jesus and burning a certain way, as long as I've known you, you've been that same person. You've been hungry for God. You've loved the presence of God. You've preached a very clear gospel message. And, and friends, this book Samuel's Arising 
You won't find it in your local bookstore yet, but you can order it online on Amazon, the ebook or the physical book. I'm telling you, this book will stir you. It's, it's only 120 pages, which is just what you want it to be. But it felt to me like a throwback book. Even the way you wrote it, you know, Keith, I remember reading Andrew Murray when I was first saved, you know, within the first few years of being a believer. And I thought he was contemporary and found out, no, he was like 18, late 1800s in South Africa. I thought, wow, I didn't know that there was like a timelessness about the message, but something classic about it. Your style, it didn't remind me of a lot of the kind of fluff stuff and the self-help and just the kind of package in a certain way. It was a dear reader. Is God speaking to you? But God put that fire in you. It's been burning ever since. What was your experience coming to the Brownsville Revival as someone already loving the Lord with ministry background, married and serving God already, coming to the School of Ministry, then joining our team? How did that further add to your passion and hunger for revival? Well, again, as I just explained, my my entrance into the kingdom of, of God was very supernatural. So when I came to the Brownsville Revival in 1996 for the first time, um, to be honest with you, I was not critical, but I was, as a lot of people that visited the first time, somewhat mm-hmm. skeptical because I'd read about revival and I was really into revival history already at that stage in my life. I'd been in ministry for several years already. So I went to really check it out, to be honest with you. <laughs> so my first night in the meeting, I was overwhelm and this is why i put it with the holiness of god mm. i mean it just gripped me you know you hear different things from different people you can read different things about what happened in brownsville and pensacola but the awe the holiness the fear of god a healthy fear of god was what gripped my heart and that first night i was there um i mean i just literally began to weep in the middle of the the worship set and Steve, of course, Steve Hill, very plain, clear gospel preacher, no fluff, just preached the Word of God. And um, as as he's preaching, my heart is just awakened in a new level. So I, I felt like I was already on fire for God on one level when I got there, but it's like the heat was turned up tremendously. The first night I was there, you got up and you announced that um, a school was starting because of what God was doing, and I knew... My wife wasn't with me the first night. The first night I, I came, a Southern Baptist pastor of a large Baptist church in the Tallahassee area had invited me. But I knew when you got up that I was supposed to be in that school, even though I'd been in ministry for almost 12 years. And uh, my life was radically transformed during that two-year period. So this fire has, has burned in you as you've traveled and preached. You've often seen people at the altar crying out to God for hours and encountering the Lord. And, and then your message, someone when you write something, it takes on a sharper form because it's, it comes pouring out of your heart and you write it, you sharpen it. I've always told people, if you enjoy my preaching, you'll enjoy the writing even more. And that, that's how I felt with this book, Samuel's Arising. Who did you write this book for? This book is really um, written to the church as well as to leaders. I mean, it's, it, it fills both roles, I believe. I, I really... This is a message that I've actually carried for some time, this this whole awakening of a generation and looking at the life of Samuel. So I, I knew that I had to get it um, in a book form to make it available. But really, my heart was so and continues to be so burdened for really the condition of the American church, a lot of the Western church. I mean, you and I travel 
to different parts of the world where the church is really paying a price to live for Jesus in the sense that their lives are on the line just because they love the Lord. But um, but I'm I'm concerned. I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm very concerned with the um, the level of carnality, the level of weakness, the the lack of dedication, the the preaching of another gospel. I believe that that has infected the church and really caused this sense of weakness and this sense of um, of lack of passion and lack of fire. You know, Steve would preach about being so saved in the Browns of revival. By and large, we see that periodically in our in our culture in America, yeah. but it's not as common as what you and I have seen even in past years. Yeah, absolutely. So, friends, this book will stir your heart, but it won't condemn you. It will convict you and draw you in to the secret place where, where you're going to want to get on your knees. I, I was convicted reading the book. I felt God calling me deeper in my own life as well. I believe you'll be. And in that place of fresh encounter with God, that's where everything changes. You alone with the Lord, everything can be changed. All right, well, we're going to get into the contents of this, and we want to stir your hearts today. I'm speaking with Keith Collins, his new book, Samuel's Arising. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I am in studio live with my friend and colleague, Keith Collins. We've been side by side for well over 20 years now in ministry work. I've been blessed to work together with Keith and his family over these years. And Keith really, uh, he's pastored, he teaches but he really has a revivalist calling. He's really used by God to stir and awaken and bring people into that fresh encounter with God. I remember when I would be at meetings with David Wilkerson, when I was at Times Square Church in New York City, I was normally preaching. But every so often I'd be there and he would start sharing out of a prophetic burden and something would just kind of explode in me in terms of, of a of a passion, of a, of a heart cry, of a sense of the desperate state of the church in America and the urgency of the hour. And Keith carries something where as he's writing, you're stirred. He's beckoning you on God's behalf to come to a place of, of renewal and restoration and fresh new start. The book, Samuel's Arising, Waking Up to God's Prophetic Call. Uh, Keith, you start off the book, the opening chapter, a Samuel generation. So take us through that. What do you mean by a Samuel generation? Well, I actually open up with this title and then immediately kind of go in and bring some some understanding where I believe that the the modern church, especially in America, is at. So mm-hmm. um, the fact that, you know, oftentimes we have everything perfect, the right feel, the right aesthetics, the right sound machine or, or the right, you know, PA systems, the, the right smoke machine, smoke the machine, right light, right. <laughs> lights, everything. Everything's so perfect. Yep. But in the midst of that, oftentimes there's no power to change lives. I mean, maybe there's people saying good things. And again, I understand there's more to talk about than what we're just talking about. However, if we remove the truths of the gospel mm-hmm. – and we just try to make people comfortable in their sin so that they'll come to a building two or three times a week. 
then I believe we're doing a grave disservice. So this 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 opening chapter really deals with the fact that um, that ministers have sold out to a deluded gospel, that there's a perverted gospel that's being preached. Explain. Give, give me – put some meat on those bones. Okay. Deluded in what sense? Per- perverted in what sense? Deluded in the sense that um, we preach that Jesus is like a Santa Claus. In other words – if you need your marriage fixed, Jesus is here. If you need a better job, Jesus can help you. If you need your mortgage paid, if you whatever. In other words, we we present a gospel that is basically um, founded on our temporal needs in this present world, and so we invite people to this Jesus that we present as just someone that wants to bless you and fix you. Now, he does all those things. He can do all those things. He's done many of those things in my life. However, the gospel is preaching the cross of Christ, calling people to a, to a life of giving themselves and surrendering their hearts to the Lord that even as Paul said, and this is ex- extreme in our generation but even by life or by death, we, mm-hmm. we are willing to follow Jesus. And so I, I believe that, that we set people up with another gospel and we invite them into a life of religion and a life of, of social experience within the church culture, but they never really come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Their lives are not really changed. So, so the good news is Jesus can give you a happy life. We fail to say You've sinned in God's sight. We fail to say that Jesus went to the cross to pay for those sins. We fail to say that we're under God's judgment outside of grace. So flee to the cross for grace, for forgiveness, for new life. And yes, God will do amazing things in your life after that. But we, we leave out the, the rest of it because of that shallow preaching, shallow converts, superficial preaching, superficial converts, in some cases, not even converts at all. Uh, Keith, how then does that tie in with the generation of Samuel? I, I know Samuel's a figure, a prophetic figure. God sure. raises up, and, and he has his own awakening experience. But why do you call this a Samuel generation? I call it a Samuel generation because, I mean, as you just said, Samuel is awakened out of sleep in the natural as a boy. Mm-hmm. He's literally sleeping by the ark of God, but he does not know the voice of God. His spiritual father Eli has allowed or tolerated sin in his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, sexual sin, perverting the sacrificial offerings. I mean, he has allowed this. He, he addressed it, but he tolerated. He would not deal with it. As a result, Samuel is in this place of spiritual dullness, going through the motions, but there's no life. The Bible said that in, in, in chapter 3 there, that there's no Word of God, there's no open vision. The word Mm -hmm. of the Lord was rare in those days. And so Samuel is awakened in the midst of this spiritual dull environment, and the voice of God calls him out. He didn't understand the voice at first. Three times, as you know, he goes to Eli. Then Eli finally recognizes that God is speaking to him. And it's always kind of blown my mind. The first charge from God that this boy has is to literally stand in the face of dead dull, mm. backslidden religion, and his first charge is to confront it and to tell Eli that the ministry is being taken from him. So in the midst of every sleepy generation, it seems like God has these individuals that he will begin to call by name, and they're, 
sometimes I call them prophetic interrupters. You know, they they agitate. They they come onto the scene and they don't make people feel comfortable. It's not that they're bigoted or belligerent, but it's just they carry this passion for a genuine move of God. It's like they become one with the heartbeat of God. The man or the woman becomes the message that they carry, and they burn with this um, in a very deep, deep way. So they're awakened to the reality of who God is, and their ministry expression, their life expression is very authentic, and they bring to bear the kingdom of God in their generations. Yeah, and and friends, it's one thing to be a complainer, a grumbler, a fault finder, a critic, and all you do is tear down what your church does, what your pastor does. It's another thing to love the Lord, love your pastor, love your church, love your denomination, but you're hungry and you're thirsty, and you come home from services and say there must be more. Keith, I remember when my first book on revival came out in 1989, End of the American Gospel Enterprise, I was doing a radio interview And it was, if I remember, rush hour in Los Angeles when when the show was airing. So it was a live show with a lot of people listening. And a woman called in and she said, I haven't heard anybody say what you're saying. Because I was saying there's got to be more and something's missing and something's wrong. And she said, my husband and I went to a church for years And we would come home and we'd be in travail. We'd be weeping. We'd be burdened. We knew something was missing. And we we finally went to the pastor. We were just brokenhearted. And we said, Pastor, there's got to be more. He said, you can go somewhere else. We have a program. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not saying you can't have a program or scheduled services or things like that. Fully understand that. But where is the presence of God? And where's a message that challenges us? Uh, You say in, in the book, Preachers have exchanged the fear of God for the entertainment of the world. And if we're entertaining, we're not going to produce disciples. Amen. You know, I I had an experience that um, I still think about it at times. I was in a church down in Florida. This is probably about 10 years ago and just visited there one Sunday morning. And we walk into the church. I, I put a little bit of this in the book. And the lights go dim, and they have these large um, screens, LED screens, or, or you know, big screens across the entire back of the platform. And all of a sudden, I hear, I hear the Beatles song, It's Been a Hard Day's Night, and there's this black and white footage of them playing this with the picture of the this girl. In the church service. In the church. The girl's screaming. And so I'm thinking, this is very odd. But then I'm thinking, well, maybe they're going to try to somehow bring some kind of me- – but anyway, that's literally the way they open their service. Mm. So I'm like, you know, using entertainment to draw a certain type of people in to where they feel comfortable, and they'll keep coming back. And then, when did you make them uncomfortable? Yeah, it, exactly. And that never happened. Again, the message that was shared that morning was uplifting and maybe encouraging, but really just dealing with how you can be better in this present world, but no, no eternal weight, no eternal, you know weight of glory on the message at all. And and again, nobody being called to a deeper place in the Lord. So so my you know, my my primary reason for writing this book is I'll just be honest, I am I'm greatly burdened. I'm encouraged at the same time because I really believe God is moving and and I'm with people around the country and around the world that are hungry for God. But as I look at the condition of so much of the church, as we continue to hear um, so many things, whether it be sin in the church, whether it be people falling away from the faith, 
um, the condition in our call. I mean, the church has got to wake up. We've, we have to hear a Samuel-like calling and be who God has called us to be. It's our mandate, and we don't, we can't play church anymore. We just can't do it. Yeah, and, and friends, when we come back, we'll, we'll get into Samuel's awakening. We'll, we'll get into the spiritual DNA of the Samuel generation, from Samuel to David, my Samuel commitment, walking out your Samuel commitment. As I was reading the book, I said, okay, this is a stirring book. This is a powerful book. But a lot of people, okay, well, now what? How do, what does it mean to walk this out? So it's in the book here, Samuel's Arising. And I, I was thrilled, Keith, to write the foreword for you because we've known each other all these years and I've seen your ministry and seen your life and know your passion and your heart. So I, I, I felt totally confident that I'd be blessed by the contents of the book, but it was, it was above and beyond my expectation in terms of it, it carried that fire, carried that sharpness, and it comes not from a judgmental heart, but from a broken heart. There's a massive, massive difference between the two, and that broken heart before God, many of you carry that. You carry that broken heart. God is near to the brokenhearted, and those are the ones he revives. Keith Collins, Samuel's Arising. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends. I'm sitting here live in studio with my friend and colleague and fellow soldier, Keith Collins. His brand new book, Samuel's Arising, will stir your heart. It stirred mine as I read it and wrote the foreword to it. You can get the book on Amazon.com in paperback or in Kindle as an ebook reader. So, Keith, as you've preached on this theme, as this book is now getting out, what, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? How is the message impacting those who hear it, who read it? You know, I'm actually hearing from a good number of leaders that are, are reading this, that they're actually experiencing conviction for the first time in a long time. Mm. It's almost like, and I've heard you say this before, um, I'll paraphrase you, but sometimes we don't even realize we're asleep until a certain type of an alarm goes off or the Word of God is really preached. And, mm -hmm. and so I think a lot of people have just just kind of blended into the spirit of this age, even in their ministry expressions. And at one time, maybe they burned for the Lord and they had yeah. a, a passion for prayer, they were burdened for the loss. They, they had a hunger for true biblical holiness and righteousness through intimacy with the Lord. But they've grown dull over the years, and therefore their, their preaching becomes a profession and not a passion of their heart. Their prayer life becomes just maybe a ritual, even if it's that, or maybe even no prayer life. So mm -hmm. I've heard from one, one leader told me that um, – they really had quit praying completely, still mm. preaching and still having anointing, but had just really lost that place of prayer. And as they heard this message, their heart was 
was dramatically stirred with conviction and they that they came back to that realization that they can't just go through the motions anymore i kind of equate you know samuel's life maybe a little different than than i've really heard others preach um a lot of times we focus on samuel's you know state and the bible said he was even physically dim in his eyesight as well as spiritually dim in his eyesight but you know samuel is even though he's a young boy, obviously he's young, but he's still experiencing religion. So Eli, the high priest, is is in a bad state. He's not disciplining his sons. Right. He can't see, as you're saying. So Eli's in this bad state. But Samuel, this is what he grows up in. This is what he is around. And as a little boy, he doesn't even know the voice of God. So when he's sleeping and God calls him, he gets up to Eli. Oh, you called me? Three <laughs> right. times. And Eli realizes, oh, okay, something's going on here. This is the voice of God. He's hearing an audible voice. And then what does he say? Next time he speaks, says, speak, Lord, your servant is, is listening. What, what does that speak to us, Keith? Well, to me, it shows me that Eli represents that backslidden church, but I think Samuel can represent a church that's asleep that doesn't even know they're asleep. Mm. A people that have never experienced the voice. Again, the Bible says he did not yet know the voice of God. So whenever he says, God, I'm your servant, speak to me, at that moment he, mm. he encounters the Lord as he never has before. He had watched his spiritual father, so to speak, his mentor, Eli, go through the motions of religion, and Eli had the right religion. I mean, he, he, he served the right God, even though you know idols had been erected in the land because of sin and ungodliness. But, um, but it speaks to me that Number one, God is faithful to his glory in every generation, that he will awaken people, that he will stir people, but also that we have to respond to what God is saying when he is saying it. And I believe even with this message that, that it's, a, it's a clarion call for the church to wake up, that, that we, listen, we can't sleep through another generation. We're losing an entire generation. I, I see so many young people, even those that were, even those that experience revival as children, now they are turning away from the faith. And I think some of the reason for that is because some of the fathers of the faith have become like Eli. Some of the mothers have become like Eli. They, they no longer have clarity of vision. Their heart no longer burns for righteousness and holiness. And they've trained their children to go through the motions, their spiritual children. So God has to speak in this generation, and, and we have to respond when he does speak. And I, I do believe with all my heart Again, I'm, I'm burdened, but I'm also encouraged. I really believe that God is speaking and God is stirring hearts again. Yeah, and, and look, friends, we're, we're products of the environment that we've lived in and grown in. And we, we might have a certain spiritual upbringing where we understand church to be a certain thing or we relate to God a certain way, and we don't know what we don't know. We, we don't know what we've never experienced. And maybe you read the Bible and you kind of reinterpret it to fit your own experience rather than reading the Word and say, something seems to be missing here. I'm not saying we're supposed to be walking on water because Jesus walked on water. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we're all going to be driving demons into pigs that go running down into a river and kill themselves. I'm not saying that. But you read about an encounter with God, about the reality of God, about the fear of God, about the presence of God, about conviction of sin, about transform lives. And you don't see it. And, and, and you kind of just say, well, that was just for back then. No, God wants to transform us 
the same way today, and he wants us to encounter him. It doesn't have to be in the visible Mount Sinai way with a shaking mountain and fire and cloud, but we're supposed to encounter God. And Keith, I fear as you do, that there's a generation that's being churched without really ever encountering the presence and power of God. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I see that. I witness that. It stirs me. It burdens me. Um, again, I, I am encouraged on one level, even as I've been out, even in recent weeks, carrying this message. I was just at a conference this past weekend up north of here and um, just saw hearts just in the altar crying out to God, tears coming out of their eyes as they're, they're, they're going deeper in the Lord and the Lord bringing real, not condemnation, but, but real conviction to live a life of deep intimacy and surrender unto the Lord. So, um, you know, I, the last thing I want to do, I love A.W. Tozer's quote where he says, if I can't have all of God, then I want nothing at all to do with religion. Mm. Um, I, the older I get, you know, I'll be 51 in a couple of weeks now. Um, the older I get, the more I realize I just cannot do ministry to do ministry. I am so um, desperate in prayer for revival, for awakening. I don't mean just good services. I'm talking about where the presence of God changes lives and awakens hearts, where once again people are willing to, to lay everything down, to go to the ends of the earth, to make Jesus known, which is normal Christianity. We see moves of God throughout history, and a lot of times I think we look at Adonam Judson and Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael, like these are great superheroes. I think these are just people that had a true encounter with God. And their, their hearts yeah. were so awakened, they were so burdened with God's heart for a dying world that the only normal response was, we have to go. Yeah. That's normal Christianity. We've, we've lost that in the American church. Yeah, I, I was mentioning in a book, I was just finishing, telling the story of my friend Yesu Padam in India. So an untouchable almost died of malnutrition as, as a little boy. A Christian missionary found him, brought him to a hospital, rehabilitated him, but he restored him to his health. But he still he hated religion. He hated the caste system. At the age of 11, he became a Naxalite, a Maoist communist, became an alcoholic, atheist, violent man, engaged basically in acts of terror against, against the rich. And, and then, as a man in his early 20s, encountered Jesus and his life was radically and dramatically changed. He, he saw in a vision Jesus standing there with his bloody hands and, and holes in his hands and saying, I did all this for you. What will you do for me? He was instantly converted. He went out on the street. People thought he'd lost his mind and started clapping his hands, said, have you heard? Have you heard? Started preaching the message of Jesus. And as long as I've known him now, which is since 1992, he lives sacrificially. He, he lives for the lost. He lives for the hurting. He, he lives for the, for the others who are outcast and neglected and, and around the world is doing an incredible work. But when you talk to him, it's like, well, what else can I do? Jesus laid down his life for me. We're not talking about being beaten with a whip, work harder. We're talking about when you encounter the Lord in, in such dramatic and miraculous ways that, that the only natural response is, Lord, here I am, send me. So, so Keith, in... Samuel's arising, you talk about the DNA of a Samuel generation. Mm -hmm. Paint a picture for that for us. What does that look like? A Samuel generation, one of the main points that, that I really try to bring out is they are um, genuinely authentic. Samuel's calling was not something hyped up or mustered up. I mean, he had a genuine 
encounter with God, and therefore his ministry expresses that. He, he, he brought the kingdom of God to bear on his generation. He, he didn't have to announce that he was called of God. I mean, you could look at his life. I believe. Matter of fact, they would send people out when he would be coming near an area, a community, a village, a city, and they would ask him why he was even coming in. So I think there has to be that, that authentic expression of, of a walk with God. That it can't just be something we put on on Sunday mornings. It can't just be something we put on when we take pen in hand to write a book or type a book. In other words, our lives have to be authentic. And I believe, you know, the world can look upon us. And not that they'll always know, but they'll know if there's something real in our lives. So I, I think authenticity is so vitally important in this generation. Number two, we have to be a people of prayer. I know that's. That's um, something we've heard a million times probably, but we're not going to carry what God calls us to nope. carry if we're not a people of prayer. Nope. Listen, We're not even going to know what to carry, how to carry. That's it. Everything that's worth anything comes out of intimacy and prayer. And um, when we neglect that, then we truly neglect what it really means to carry the burden of God, to mm-hmm. be a true Samuel in our generation. Um, we're not addicted to entertainment. In other words, we are fascinated, overwhelmed with the beauty and the glory and the holiness of Jesus. This is another sad situation. We don't preach Jesus correctly. So we beg people to come to Jesus. But when Jesus is rightly seen as he is mm-hmm. in the midst of his church, one or two things happen. People run to him and humble their lives before him and say, my life for the gospel, or they harden their hearts and run away from him. Now we've got this other place that we've created through preaching another Jesus and another gospel, and people are not really seeing who he really is. A true Samuel generation, the DNA of a Samuel generation, we are radically and passionately fueled by deep love for Jesus. He's everything to us. He's not just a part of our lives. He is our life. Yeah, the pearl of great price, the treasure in the field, when you discover who he really is, especially how lost and messed up we've been, you just run towards him. And even as a believer, there's a rediscovering of who Jesus is and the fascination of the world, entertainment, sports, money, the pride of life, it quickly fades in the light of a fresh encounter with Jesus, the Lord. We'll be right back with Keith Collins. More to come on Samuel's Arising. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to the line of fire. Okay, two special... I'm I'm just smiling. Uh, Just saw a note from someone that brought a smile to my face. Okay, 30 minutes from now, 30 minutes from now, 4.20 Eastern Standard Time, all right? So this is on a Tuesday, so we're live right here, August 20th. But 30 minutes from now, for everyone watching, listening live, I'm going to be back on YouTube, on the S. Dr. Brown YouTube channel, doing a special exclusive YouTube Q&A chat. You don't want to miss it, all right? 30 minutes from now, so you can post questions for me, interact on a wide range of subjects. Also, if you're stirred listening to Keith Collins, just get, get the book, Samuel's Arising. 
But you can study with Keith online and with me online. Our entire faculty that taught during the Brownsville Revival, that has taught together for over 20 years, our entire faculty teaching on revival, teaching on Jesus revolution, teaching on Jewish roots of the faith, teaching on fivefold ministry, teaching on missions, our entire team, we have all of our classes, the full audio of all the classes with complete study guides available for you to study online. You can take it at your own pace. You can earn a full two-year degree. You can transfer credits into other schools, online colleges, and universities. Check it out now. And we also will be, as our student body is growing and increasing online, we'll be doing online mentoring as well in the months ahead. Fireschoolofministry.com. Go there today. Check it out. Ask for more information. Check out the menus there to f- explore all the information. Fireschoolofministry.com. Keith and I have served leading these schools for many, many years. We have these schools around the world. For the first time now, we have the entire program available online. You could take it one class at a time. You could take it like a full-time student. There are practicums as well, things for you to do. It is a program that will change your life. All right, Keith. Samuel's arising, waking up to God's prophetic call. We're, we're just wetting people's appetites into what's actually in the book. But I, I want to jump ahead to the chapter, My Samuel Commitment. What, what does that mean? How do we walk this out in our own lives? Yeah, this, this chapter was really written so that I could um, share what it really means now to, to walk this out. You know, it's, 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 it's one thing to, to hear a message like this, to read a message like this, but then put it into practical action. So, so what I did in this chapter was I, I gave some really basic points. And the first one is, listen, you can read all this stuff. You can get encouraged about rev- personal revival, corporate revival, God moving. But unless you're willing to repent of sin and compromise in your own life, mm-hmm. then it's just it's just rhetoric. I mean, it's just words with no action. So, so what I do in this last chapter is I, I really call people to a place of introspection, to look in the mirror and say, how am I really living my life? In other words, am I addicted to entertainment? Well, how do you know if you're addicted to entertainment? Well, if your free time is spent in entertainment and you're not spending time with Jesus, you are addicted to entertainment. You're you're worshiping something aside from Jesus. So you can get excited. You can feel in your emotions that, God, I want to see my life count for eternity. But, my friend, that will not happen unless you make a decision to step towards God. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, and, you know, these these words now, like conviction and and repentance, are not— um, as popular as they once were possibly. However, these are beautiful works of the Holy Spirit in our life when the Lord comes in and deals with us in, in the deep places of our hearts. So, you know, the first thing I believe is coming to the place of just saying, God, I, I repent, Lord. I give you my heart. I give you my life. And then, you know, and then really giving yourself to a life of prayer and humility that it's not just something you're hearing about today. It's not just something you know is true, but but you're really willing to give your life to prayer and then embracing the message 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, um, there are settings that I go into. It's, it's rare that I'm not preaching where I go, but there are settings that I go into where there is no gospel. There is no urgency. There, there's no breath of eternity. And um, listen, um, grace is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful message. But grace does not give us the ability to live a life of sin. It empowers us to live a life of righteousness in Christ Jesus. So, so these, the, these all have to do with the Samuel commitment. And um, I actually um, kind of concluded this chapter with, um, with a prayer, if it's okay, if I yeah, just yeah, read please, this. Yeah, yeah, please, please. It just simply says, Dear God, I want to carry your glory in my generation. I repent of all sin and refuse all compromise. I cling to the only true gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins and reconcile me to God and set me on fire for God's glory. Seeking your will alone, I turn from all apathy and receive your heavenly call. From this day on, I will pray without ceasing, preach without compromising, listen to your voice and obey without questioning. I commit to live as Samuel did, to be an agent of revival in the lives of my peers, to reflect you in my lifestyle, not only in my words, and to live for your glory alone and not my own. I pray that through my life you may defeat the world's doubt and restore hope in Jesus' love. In bold faith, I ask that you would awaken me to your glory more every day. May your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. And I would even encourage you maybe to pray this for a season every day, asking God, Lord, mm. make this commitment real in my life and in my heart. And, and Keith, as, as we come towards the, the close of this broadcast, I, I, I want to put this out, especially for pastors, for leaders, and for congregants, where you're, you're, you're convinced that something's missing. We don't want to condemn, we're not throwing stones, but it's so easy over the course of life and ministry you get in a rut, you don't even know it. Or a pastor's got to be upbeat and preach every week and minister and do this and that and lead a certain way. And you can get into a performance mentality. You don't even realize it. So I want to encourage folks in your church, if you know there's more, pray for blessing and grace on pastors and leaders for fresh encounter for them. I'm walking with the Lord, enjoying God's presence, but if, if people were praying for a fresh, deep encounter with God on my own, I'd welcome it. That's not a negative prayer. And Keith, just take two minutes to speak to pastors and leaders that they realize, you know, I've, I've grown cold. I'm doing this by rote. I'm, I'm running on fumes. Just speak from your heart to them. Yeah, let, me, let me just say to you today that, um, number one, the calling upon your life is for the glory of Jesus. Number two, there is a deep place of knowing God, that he has called you to minister from that place. It's very easy to to fall out of a relationship with the Lord because of the busyness of ministry. And maybe some of you have found yourself in that setting where the pressures of performance have, have overtaken that life of intimacy. I want to implore you. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Get back in that secret place with Jesus. It's out of that place that the kingdom of God becomes real, that your life will truly make a difference in this generation. You know, one day all of us, myself included, we will literally stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We don't hear that talked about much. And we'll give an account for our lives, our, our words, our deeds, our actions. And those of us that minister the gospel, and this is not condemnation, it's reality, we'll be judged even more severely. So listen, 
We don't have time just to be professional pastors, professional preachers. The Lord has called us to bring his kingdom on this earth. There are souls that are listening to you. They need Jesus. They need men that know the Lord. They need women that know the Lord, and their lives need to be radically impacted and touched. So let me just encourage you, go back to your first love and minister from that place because any other thing becomes just plastic or platonic with no real value and no real life. Jesus loves you, and he calls you back to that place today, my friend. Amen. And again, if you realize you've wasted years, if you're a believer and you realize your heart's grown cold or you've been going through the motions or you've been just saying there's got to be more, God's not condemning you. He's calling you in. A fresh encounter with God brings a fresh revelation of the depth of his love. And it, Keith, it often comes with conviction because you think, man, I've been selfish. I've been carnal. He's done so much for me. And here I've, I've, I've walked my own life and lived my own life. But the conviction is a life-giving conviction. So get a copy of the book, Samuel's Arising, or get a copy, give it as a gift to your pastor or leader. Keith Collins, Evangelist Daniel Kalenda, also wrote a foreword uh, with me. And, and Keith, I was thrilled to see this because Daniel reaches millions with the gospel, and he was stirred by this message. And then again, uh, 20 minutes from now, a little over 20 minutes, I'll be back on YouTube doing a live chat, taking your questions. And if you want to get more, if you want to go deeper, if you want to study with, with Keith, Keith, what are some of the, the signature classes that you've taught at Fire School of Ministry? Um, prayer and intercession, Ephesians, um, fivefold gift ministries, um, pastoral epistles, so several. Yeah, so those are the very classes where you'll sit hour after hour, at the feet of these different leaders, these gifted teachers. You can take classes I've taught on, on Jesus' revolution, on difference between hyper-grace and true grace, on Jewish roots, different things I've taught, classes that will enrich you, change your life, and equip you for the work of ministry, fireschoolofministry.com, now fully online, and you can enroll Today. All right, talk to you again on YouTube 20 minutes from now and get your copy today, Samuel's Horizon by Keith Collins. You can order it on Amazon right now.